Father, I thank you for this time to just be a church gathered together. I'm reminded in your word how the church, at least in what we see in Scripture, is composed of the body of people, the brothers and the sisters of faith, that that is your church, Father. And today on Sunday, as we kind of hold this heritage of gathering on Sundays, the the day that you resurrected, Lord, we are thankful for this time that we get to explore your word together. I pray, Lord, that as I preach your word, Father, that we would not leave the same way that we came, that we would take your word seriously, that we would plant your word in our heart, and we would allow your Holy Spirit to do his work in and through us. Lord, as I've prayed many times and will pray again, I ask, Father, that you give us eyes to see the things that you are doing and ears to hear the words that you are speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, between two farms in Alberta, Canada, there lies this fence that travels about a half a mile. And this fence that is in Alberta, Canada, is specifically is divided by two feet. Why two feet, you may ask? Well, there's a story behind this, a history behind this. There was two farmers, one named Oscar and the other named Paul. And these, uh, these farmers got into a feud with each other. You see, Paul was deciding to build a fence in order to help divide up the lands and allow his animals to pasture and graze there. And he approached his, his fellow neighbor named Oscar and asked him to help build the fence with him. Him, but Oscar declined. So out of spite, Paul decided to build a fence, and when the fence was built, Oscar approached him and said, hey, I'm glad that we have a fence now to divide up our lands. To which Paul replied, well, I went and had my land surveyed, and I made sure to bring my fence two feet in from my property line." So that if I see any of your cows on my land, well, they're going to be met by a bullet from my gun. (laughs) Not the most friendly of neighbors, if you ask me. And Oscar knew that he was serious, so he did the only thing that he could do. When he decided to finally use that land that was adjacent to his property, he decided that he would have to build his own fence. So there... In Alberta, Canada, exists this monument to these two men that are now long gone with a fence traveling a half a mile separated by two feet. And if anything, this story represents the bitterness that two people can form against each other over stubborn behavior, pride, and honestly, silly quarrels. But if we think about it, if we look at our own lives, there's probably been some moment in our own lives where we have gotten in a silly quarrel, a fight with somebody else, right? If anything, this can happen on a daily, if not weekly basis. Well, in this opening chapter four of the book of James, he specifically wants to deal with what we call fights and quarrels. 
Now, when I was writing this message, it was difficult for it in some ways to take shape because I think James here is dealing with, with issues of the heart that we deal with so regularly that I wanted to make sure that I communicated this correctly. In fact, I think chapter 4 is so important for us today that I really, really want to plead that you pay close attention to the text that we're in because I believe that it is rich in application on how we are to conduct our lives as well as how we need to be careful to not fall into the traps that James is about to talk about. So if you have your Bibles, please open up to James chapter 4. We're going to be spending the bulk of our time through chapter 4, 1 through verses uh, 11, I I believe, and we'll be jumping around just a little bit, but we're mainly going to be in this text. And as I said, James is unpacking deep spiritual truths for the church of his day, as well as our own today. So James 4.1 says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? I want you to remember that word, desires, because I'm going to go back to it later. You desire, but you do not have, so you what? You kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Church. Do not let this verse go unnoticed in your life because I would venture to say that what is tied up in this verse, if, if anything, is a constant struggle in our own day, if not all of history, but especially within the Western world that we live in. All of us quarrel, all of us fight, at some point or another of our lives. Our fighting is not always with our fists, right? But in, sometimes it can be in our words or in our actions, the things that we do, or how about this, the things that we leave undone. And James is trying to very strategically help his readers understand why this happens in our lives why we fight. You see, pacifism is not just limited to physical violence, but in reality, it is being the kind of person that can promote peace, the kind of person that can, in some ways, diminish quarreling and fighting for the sake of being able to bring peace into people's lives. And it is so important that we get this right. Yet despite knowing full well that the Lord wants us to avoid fighting, we do what? We still fight. 
we bicker. We have ways of being able to get into disagreements with each other that oftentimes diminishes our testimony or at the very least prevents us from being able to bring about what God desires out of our lives, out of our relationship, out of our church. Think about the last time you got very upset at someone in an ungodly way. Was it not motivated in some form of frustration over your desire? To put it simply, what James is saying is the root of all of our fights and our quarrels is what word that he brings up in the text? Our desire. That is what motivates us to fight. Fights are the results of our ungodly, selfish desires. Now, there are times that we may get into an argument because we want to be able to promote truth. Don't get me wrong, that happens. But ultimately, somebody is going to be fighting because they want to be able to promote their own desires. The word desire here used in the New International Version, which is what I just read for you today, is specifically this word in Greek called hedone. Hedone. And I know that you've heard this before, this word, this word, this Greek word hedone, roughly means to please sensual delight, by implication desire, to lust, to, 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 to have pleasure. It's why the English Standard Version, if you have that version of the Bible, actually replaces that word desire there with pleasure. But this word, hedone, is actually where we get what other word that you may have heard before? Hedon, or hedonism, or a hedonist. And in some ways, this really, I think, aptly explains what, what, what James is trying to get at here. You see, we are oftentimes motivated by our own desires to please ourselves. What is a hedonist or what is someone that is, a, is, is following the path of hedonism? Well, it, basically, it's a philosophical belief where you try to pursue pleasure, where you try to pursue good, the good of, of, of being able to enjoy whatever it is that you like. In some ways, we're all hedonist. If we've ever had too much ice cream or ate too much dessert, then, then in some ways you have experienced what hedonism is like, where you say, you know what, I'm going to withhold the broccoli so I can eat more of the rocky road, <laughs> knowing full well that maybe the broccoli is what you should have, but desiring the ice cream. And this is what James is trying to, in some ways, create a word picture for in our minds. This fact that we oftentimes sinfully pursue matters of the heart that are driven by what? Our flesh, our sin, the things within our lives that 
oftentimes pull us away from God instead of pulling us closer into communion with God and what He desires of our lives. This concept of desire is so important. In some ways, it is linked very closely to what we see especially within young people. You may have heard a a, a term that oftentimes has been used by young people, and that's the phrase of YOLO, or you only live once. I'm just kind of curious. You ever hear this before? Yeah. And it's this thought that life is short, opportunities are limited, so just do what pleases you. Drink, marry, and be happy, for tomorrow we die. But yet James is saying that it is that kind of approach to life that ultimately causes the battles and the struggles of the heart. Now, I want to be clear about something. We all, as a result of our desires, experience some forms of disappointment right? When we do not get what we want, it is hard for us as individuals to be able to accept that. Why? Because we do not like hearing the word no. For any of you that have children or at least have small children or remember what it's like to deal with little children, what word do your children never want to hear? No. No, you cannot have an extra scoop of ice cream. No, you need to finish your food before you eat dessert. No, you can't have another Thomas the Trolley engine. We have five of them already. Can you tell I'm living in this right now? And even though we look at children and we notice how in some ways childish that behavior is, The reality is, is there's not much that separates us from that same struggle. We've just gotten very good at sometimes hiding that, of making that look civil in our own lives, but in reality, some of us as adults do even worse than children, right? We commit acts of violence, we ridicule people, we hurt people with the words that we speak. We riot. We do all these things because what? Because the desires of our hearts are not being fulfilled. It is a difficult thing to deal with desire. But what does James have to say about desire? He says in verse 2, you do not have as you do not ask God. You do not have because you do not ask God. You see, I find this really interesting because you would think that what James would say here is that you need to kill your desires. In fact, I would say that it is a very Buddhist thing to, in some ways, believe that. But if if anything, that is a false belief. There is nothing wrong with having desires, church. In Buddhism, that oftentimes 
uh, teaches detachment and being able to separate your, yourself from this world is fundamentally wrong in that area. And this is why I believe James makes the point to say that you do not have because you do not ask God in some way showing that desires are not a bad thing. Did you hear that? There's nothing wrong with you wanting to pursue pleasures, you wanting to pursue things that fill your heart. But the problem comes from when we do not ask God, according to James. And he goes on to say a little bit more, but we'll, we'll, we'll save that for a little bit later. But there's this quote that I love from St. Thomas Aquinas. If you don't know who that is, he's a, a, a 13th century saint who perhaps in some ways offered more to theology than any person before him. And he says this, he said, We set forth our petitions before God, not in order to make known to Him our needs and our desires, but rather so that we ourselves may realize that in these things it is necessary to turn to who? To God for help. You see, we need to make our desires known to the Lord so that we could do what? So that we could focus on the person who is the giver of all things. You see, what James is trying to say is he's trying to say that you need to go to God with the desires that you have in your life. Because when you don't go to God, what ends up happening? you end up ruminating about the desires that you have and the ways that they're not fulfilled, and it leads you to what? To get frustrated, to get angry, to get bitter, to act out because of that. And to create all sorts of kinds of evil that go against the ministry that God is calling us to have in this world. Now think about it. When you are dealing with desires of the heart, do you go to the Lord or do you simply just ruminate on those desires? Do you simply just try to, in some ways, force the results that you want to have? Now, you see, hopefully this is starting to make more sense because when we try to do what? When we try to force the results that we want, that's when we get into the quarreling and the fighting. Because in some ways, we are trying to play the part of God in our own lives and being able to force the results that we want to have. And James is saying here, you do not have because you do not do what? Ask God. Now that's instant application for us as a church family. And there's going to be more that we'll talk about today. But I remember when I was younger, um, I think the year was around 2016 or 2006 or so. 
Um, <laughs> growing up in Florida, we regularly deal with hurricanes, you know, and it, it, kind of, it gets so routine in our lives that when hurricanes come, it's, it's kind of funny. I, I remember family members would call and ask us, are you going to vacate the state? And people would be worried, and some people would, and that's probably a smart idea. But some of us, South Floridians especially, we get so used to hurricanes and natural disasters that when hurricanes come, we throw what's called hurricane parties where we just realize that the electricity is going to go out, so it's time to bring out all the good food and eat and have fun and just enjoy ourselves and watch things blow around and just is what it is. Well, I remember in the, the 2006 period sometime, uh, end of summer leading into fall, when in August, September time, when hurricanes can be really bad that time of year, um, as the temperatures are kind of shifting, it creates hurricanes in the south. Um, and I remember in this, this time of year, we had three hurricanes, one after another, and you might remember that same time period too. I think it was like Francis, Jean, and uh, another one. And all these hurricanes came through, and they knocked down all of these aluminum screen enclosures uh, for people that had pools. Well, I got a great idea after that, and I decided to knock on doors and ask people if I could collect their aluminum screen enclosures. And if you didn't know, at that time, we would get about 33 cents a pound for aluminum screen enclosures. So as a 16-year-old, I did the math, and each home had around two, 3,000 pounds worth of aluminum. So that's a lot of money for someone that's just in high school. Well, I remember doing that, and I got a little bit in over my head, and I was collecting up the aluminum screen enclosure all by myself, and I was working from day to night to try to do this, and I think the time got some, sometime around 8 or 9, and I was still at it. And it was starting to dawn upon me that I took on more than I could chew. And I just remember feeling so overwhelmed by that circumstance, realizing that I had committed to do this job for this, this home that ultimately I didn't know if I was going to be able to finish. I was feeling the pressure and the anxiety of that to finally, I reached out to my father and just desperately asked him for his help because there were certain things that I just couldn't do. So my dad came out and he started to help me. And I use this story as an example because, you see, I had a desire, and that desire was to be able to, to, to finish this job in order to make some money. But in reality, I could not do this job, at least not by myself. And it wasn't until I went to my father and realized that I needed his help that I was able to be humble enough to realize that I needed the father's help in order to finish and get the desires of my heart. Church, when you are going through life, do you consider the, the desires that you deal with, the things that are going on in your heart, as an opportunity to turn to God or to simply allow yourself to get frustrated, angry, 
fight, quarrel. You see, it's difficult to value help if you don't know that you need it, right? In some ways, we need to learn the important lesson of not trying to do everything ourselves, but being willing to ask the Lord for His help. We have this hard, it's a hard lesson for us, especially as Americans, because Americans, we value within our culture people who can get it done and get it done by themselves, right? We have this rebellion spirit of being able to do something and pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps in such a way that we oftentimes fail to ask for help. And this doesn't just translate into our relationships, but it also translates into our relationship with God, right? Are you in a habit of asking for the Lord's help in your life? So James, in some ways, gives us two reasons why we do not have, and I've been speaking heavily on one of them, and one of them is simply because we do not ask God, right? We've already established that, but the point I want to make is that we are invited repeatedly in Scripture to ask God for what we want, Now, I do not know why there's this false belief that we cannot ask the Lord for what we want, as if it is somehow prideful of us to ask God. Now, don't get me wrong, we can abuse that, but for whatever reason, we think the most pious thing that we can do is to simply not have desires. But instead, Scripture wants us to be able to ask God. And even Jesus makes this point in the Gospel of Matthew. In chapter 7, he says this, and I can put it on the screen for you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? We have this fear of asking the Lord for the desires of our heart. But church, we need to go to God because if we don't, then what are the alternatives? Bitterness, quarreling, fighting. Now, James is smart enough to know that when we do ask God, we need to ask with what kind of heart? We need to ask with the right heart. And this is the second, in some ways, reason why James says that we do not have. The first is because we simply just don't ask God, but the second is what? Because we ask with wrong motives. 
Now, here's where when I pray, Lord, I want a Porsche 911 Turbo from the 1960s. <laughs> the wrong motives can start to apply, right? You see, the wrong kinds of motives could be just asking God for the material desires that we oftentimes become ensnared with. Our culture, for whatever reason, has a huge problem with materialism, and we all feed into it in some way or another, where we find ourselves as chronic shoppers, of chronic hoarders, of constantly looking on our phones on Amazon, or, or, or going to stores and buying certain things, and I'm seeing a lot of smiles and nudges and smirks happening in the room today, so you know what I'm talking about. And the Lord is saying that this is one of the reasons why we oftentimes do not get the desires of our heart is because we ask with the wrong motives. Now this is a hard lesson and it's a hard reality that in some ways is obvious but yet is, is difficult to apply. Well, pastor, how do I develop the right kinds of motives? How do I pull away from desiring the wrong kinds of things or the right kinds of things for the wrong reason in order to change my heart to the right kind of things? Now, I said that kind of quickly, but hear me well. You can desire the right kinds of things, but yet have a wrong motive. Did you hear me there? You could desire the right kinds of things, but still have a wrong motive. You see, this is where I think in some ways we need to make a point to develop our relationship with the Lord in constant communion with Him. It's, it's through doing that that in some ways our heart is revealed. It's through doing that that we can in some ways observe our hearts well enough to see if our motives are wrong or if they're right kinds of motives. You, you see what I'm trying to, to, to say here? You see, we can have false beliefs that, that in some ways our motives can be fueled by, by what we call the flesh, and because of that, it can prevent us from being able to receive what the Lord has for us. You know, here is the right kind of thing that I think sometimes the Lord can prevent us from having. If you are on the younger side of things, or if you're just in a situation where you're single, and you desire a spouse, so not necessarily, you don't have to necessarily be young to be in this category, but typically speaking, oftentimes I think God can withhold that individual from being able to receive a spouse, not because God doesn't want that person to have a spouse, because if anything, you read uh, the first few chapters of Genesis, and what do you learn pretty quickly? God loves families. God wants us to be fruitful and have families and multiply. That might not be a calling for everybody's life, but ultimately it is never a bad thing for someone to have a family and to want to grow that family. That's something to be praised. It's something to be enjoyed. It's something to celebrate in life. 
But sometimes we can do what when it comes to our desire to have a significant individual in our lives? We can put that above our relationship with the Lord. You see, idols aren't just little statues that we worship or figures that we bow to. Idols can be whatever we put our affections on. Whatever we allow to, in some ways, captivate our hearts can be an idol to us. So many of us, without realizing it, have committed certain forms of idolatry. Here's another misconception that we oftentimes don't realize translates over to our lives. When we think of idols, we think of maybe the story in in Exodus with everybody worshiping this golden calf, but in reality, think about your own life. What are the things in your life that have the ultimate amount of affection? Maybe... For you, it could be status, it could be wealth, it could be a certain type of object, it could be a relationship, it could be the way that you want your life to turn out, and that can be an idol for you where in some ways it is more important than you to you than your relationship with the Lord. So maybe God in some ways holds back from giving you certain desires in your heart because he knows that if he were to give it to you, that it would cause what? Greater sin. It would cause you to go down a path that just leads to more sin. You know, I've yet to meet a person who has said to me that their life really improved after cheating on their spouse or neglecting their children, or forgoing their responsibilities, being a vengeful person. In fact, the, 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 the psychology shows that doing those kinds of things actually diminishes one's happiness in life. But yet, sometimes we desire that so much that it becomes an idol to us, and we think that the only way to be able to uh, achieve that form of happiness is just by pursuing it regardless of whether it's wrong or it's right. And obviously, Scripture is very clear in telling us that it is wrong. So God, in some ways, holds back the things that we want because in doing that, He prevents us from going too far astray. Now, this is hard for me personally because as many of you know, there's certain things that I'm praying for in my own life that I'd like to see better. You know, I'd like... For instance, I, for whatever reason, last year has been really hard on, on me personally, physically, where I've had to deal with this automobile accident and then some other health issues that have just made life a little bit more uncomfortable and difficult for me. And you guys also know that my wife and I, our family is growing, and we're so grateful for that, but as our family grows, our house hasn't really grown with us. And you've heard me talk before how we've been praying for a home. And I've been wondering, Lord, well, how is that supposed to work out? (laughs) And there's been times where I've gotten frustrated 
But what I'm trying to practice in my own life is just being content with the circumstances I find myself in and not allowing my desires to rule me in such a way that it leads me to sin. It leads me to bitterness. It leads me to what James has in some ways tried to highlight more than anything, to fighting, to quarreling. God wants me to live at peace. That doesn't mean my desires are necessarily going to go away, but rather it's that I offer those desires up to the Lord so that He may shape them and influence them so that I can live at peace. What are the desires going on in your heart right now that you've been wrestling with? What are the things that you have felt like the Lord been saying no to that you've struggled with. Today is the day, church, for you to be able to take those desires and really offer them up to the Lord so that they no longer rule you. You know, last year, 2020, it's in some ways been overdone, I think, about how much we talk about all the bad things that happened last year. But I want to share one more thing, at least the frame of mind that I was in, and I know many of you were in the same frame of mind last year that I was in. But when March came around, and within kind of a few, it what felt like a few hours of time, we had to decide to close our church the immediate thoughts that came to my head was, Lord, I've only been here for a little over six months or so. Maybe, I can't even remember if it was that, even that amount, enough time. Maybe six or seven months I was here. You've called me to this place to, revital, to, to be a part of revitalization here. And here we are sh- closing our doors. I don't know about you, Lord, but I don't know how we're going to be able to survive this if we're trying to, in some ways, stay apart from each other more. If we're, in some ways, living within isolation in our own homes, how are you going to call this church to be able to grow in ministry influence with one another if we're not even gathering as people? I remember people would ask me, so pastor, how's it going? And I would say, well, my primary job is trying to get people together and we're living in a state where everybody needs to stay apart. Well, how do you think it's going? And immediately after that, I started to think of, Lord, are we going to be able to pay our mortgage here? Lord, how are we going to be able to grow our influence? How are we going to be able to Um, be a light to those in need? How are we going to be able to create change within this place as well as still advancing the gospel in people's lives? Well, I remember even just thinking, Lord, how are we going to do online church? Our church hasn't even been thinking about that. How are we even going to do that? Well, I don't know if you realize this, but we didn't miss a beat. When COVID happened. The first Sunday we closed, we had online church. 
the second Sunday that we had to do online church, it just got better and better and better. I remember calling up my, my previous church that I was pastoring at, just trying to say, how do we do this? I'm not sure how we're even going to record church. Right now, I'm just filming off of my laptop. Well, within a week or two, all of a sudden, I get a, a text message from one of them and saying, hey, we just upgraded our camera. Do you mind if we send you our old $4,000 camera? Oh, sure, I'll take it. <laughs> and then even, even after that, just a, even a few weeks later, I get a call from a congregant who said, um, you know, I want it to be able to give a special gift to the church so that you guys can, can buy the streaming equipment that you need in order to have service. And it was just like blessing after blessing after blessing came to where we can look at last year and not only praise the Lord for all the things that He did, but in a year where we weren't, where I wasn't personally certain on whether we were, we were going to be able to pay our bills and our mortgage, we paid off the whole church. Amen? I mean, isn't that something worth praising the Lord about? In church, we need to realize that God gives us desires, but in those desires, we need to be able to pray and to look to Him and to allow Him to be able to influence the desires of our heart. You know, one of the beautiful things that I've realized in my years in ministry is that I never need to be afraid to pray for my marriage, to pray for my church, to pray for the witness that I have, for the situations that I am in. God wants to be able to bless those prayers in your life. Yes, you might not get a Porsche 911 Turbo from 1968, but... The things that truly spiritually matter, these small things that I have listed on here that are ultimately at the core of what we desire and need in life, God is about those things. And one of the things that I continue to experience is that when I pray for this church, when I ask God to do big things here, He has a way of making it happen. It might not be exactly how I envisioned, but it happens. And every time it happens, it's, I, I ask myself, why did I not do that sooner? Church, I want to invite you that if you are going through issues in your marriage, if you're going through issues in your family, it doesn't even have to be related to your own spouse or, or your dynamics with your children. It could just be family members that you know, that you begin to pray for them, that you begin to make it a habit to go to God on their behalf. If you're going through issues in your own walk, in your situations, that you go to the Lord in prayer, that you 
humble yourself, go down on your knees if you have to, and start to present those things to God. And church, I want to encourage you as well to pray for this church, to pray that we can continue to be an effective light to our neighboring communities. I was so encouraged by Beth this morning in telling me about her neighbor that that now wants to contribute to our efforts in making Christmas special for other people, and it just makes me want to do more. Church, pray that we will be able to do more, that God will continue to fill these seats, but not just fill these seats so that we have a lot of pretty faces to look at, but fill these seats so that we can continue to equip the saints for ministry to do the work of God. Amen? I invite you to pray. Pray, church. Pray big prayers and realize that the Lord wants you to have desires. But the kind of desires that are informed by Him, shaped by Him, and about Him. I have four more pages to go, but I'm just going to stop there. (laughs) Because I think the Lord made his point today. That he wants to be able to shape and influence the the desires that we have. And I'm going to leave these other pages. I mean, it kind of, there really are four more pages here for next time. Because I have a sense that there are some of you here today that have been wrestling with your own desires. That you've been wrestling with, with things of your own hearts. And I've touched that nerve for you today. And I just want to encourage you and remind you to not live in the kind of life that leads to quarreling and frustration and fighting and wrestling with this world. But that instead, you would take your desires and you would let them be known to God. That you would pray this kind of prayer. That you would say, Lord, if I'm coming to you with wrong motives, may you reveal that. May you diminish that. May you take that away. But Lord, I'm believing that if you are giving me a heart for something, it's because you want to see it through. So I'm going to pray for this, Lord. I'm going to pray for my family. I'm going to pray for my marriage. I'm going to pray for my children. I'm going to pray for my situation. I'm going to pray for my job. I'm going to pray for my church. I'm going to pray for my witness. Do not be afraid to go to God in prayer for the things that weigh heavy on your heart. Will you commit to doing that this week for me? And in that commitment, will you take time to pray for this church that the Holy Spirit would have His way in and through this body so that we can continue to be a light for our neighbors in this area. Amen? Let's pray. 
Father, I thank You that we can close every single sermon, every single moment of our service with prayer. I thank You, Father, that You invite us to pray, that You give us desires, not because You want us to just be disappointed, but because ultimately desires can be shaped in such a way that we are doing the things that You are calling us, that we are pursuing the things that You are calling us to. So I just pray for that, Lord. I know many people in this church have certain desires that they've been frustrated about, that that has led them to just fighting and quarrels, whether it's with other people or just fighting and quarreling within their own hearts. I pray right now, Lord, that you would hear those desires and church with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, I want to encourage you to think of whatever desire it might be that you've been thinking about during this sermon. And I want you to visualize that desire and I want you to be able to, to give it to the Lord. To confess that desire to the Lord. And I want you to just ask the Lord to be able to meet that desire. That if it is something that it's sinful, that He would help you take it away. But if it's something good, that He would help give you the patience And that he would that you would ultimately lean on the Lord to help you fulfill that desire of your heart. Lord, see these desires. We give them to you and we thank you, Lord. Because we can always go to you in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.